Joe Biden has officially been confirmed as the next president of the United States just hours after hundreds of Trump supporters stormed the US Capitol building. Meanwhile, the US remains bitterly divided, but is there a way Biden could bring the nation together again? And women are now able to run trains in Russia after changes to labor legislation. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. So hello and welcome to the latest edition. I am Markus Hippi and I am joined in the programme by Monocle's Europe editor-at-large Ed Stocker and Monocle 24's producers Paige Reynolds and Augustin Machilari. Welcome to the programme. So first, I have to say that our team has been very busy with our news programmes covering the exceptional events on Capitol Hill yesterday. Ed, if I come to you first, you worked for Monocle in the US for years. Did you see this coming? Uh, well, I mean, certainly in the in the shorter term, yeah, something was going to happen yesterday. Something was going to kick off um, because Donald Trump had essentially been inciting his followers to to go down and protest and um, and sort of do something on that day of certif- on certification of of the vote. So we knew something was going to happen, which made the fact that the Capitol Hill police seem so wholly unprepared. Uh, surprising. I think beyond obviously the shocking uh, action of this mob, and there really is no other word for it, uh, serious questions need to be asked about the security deployment and why something like this was able to happen seemingly uh, so easily, Marcus. Paige and August, I presume it was a late night for you yesterday as well. Uh, Yeah, it was a bit of a late night. Um, obviously, I think this all started kicking off around uh, seven UK time. So just when we thought we could uh, put the work away for the day. Um, but, you know, and it's just something that you couldn't really tear your eyes away from really once it started unfolding. It was just really, really shocking. It really felt quite surreal. Um, you know, I guess thinking a little bit more today as the dust settles, kind of as Ed was saying, there was something was going to happen. And, but um, certainly the the pictures, just the, the photos that were coming through were just... Uh, were unbelievable, really. I I completely agree. I could hardly tear myself away from my phone. So while I wasn't responsible, like Pages, for setting up our morning current affairs show, I still got quite a late night. I was really struck by the way that what we saw last night seemed to express uh, an outrage that maybe has been building since the the election back in November. I think maybe people had sort of hoped that when there wasn't major civil unrest following the result, I mean, if you remember, it took about a week for it to become clear that Biden had indeed won. Um, When there wasn't a mass outpouring after that, maybe people got a bit complacent. Maybe they thought, okay, it won't be as bad as all that. And uh, we can put this chapter in the history books where it belongs. But, you know, I I, I think this sort of outpouring was, I guess, a bit inevitable in some way. Mm. Let's now get a quick roundup of how the situation in Washington has evolved today. Monocle's news editor Chris Jermak joins us now. Chris, what is the latest? Hi, Marcus. Yeah, it's fair to say that after the uh, horrific scenes that went around the world from the US Capitol yesterday, today has been quieter on the protest front, but very loud on recriminations in Washington. We just heard from Joe Biden, uh, the president-elect, who really went after Donald Trump for an abdication uh, an abdication of leadership yesterday. 
Um, he aggressively uh, sort of attacked the current president um, for the way he characterized the uh, protesters. He basically said, don't call them protesters. This was an angry mob and they should be treated as such. He very directly also contrasted the way that the protesters were treated with the way that Black Lives Matters protesters were treated back in the summer, of course, much more aggressively by police. He drew that line himself very directly. Um, some 68 people, it should be said, have also been arrested now by Capitol Police. Nearly all of them came in from outside of Washington. Um, and we've also seen uh, today a growing number of politicians calling for Donald Trump's removal from office, even though he only has uh, 11 days left in office. Uh, that includes the Democratic leaders of Congress, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, but also other lawmakers. We've also seen, uh, you know, if there was going to be a removal of him from office, this would fall to the cabinet. Um, there were some reports um, that the cabinet was considering invoking the 25th Amendment to the Constitution, which would allow them, along with Vice President Mike Pence, to remove Trump from office. It's not really clear how likely this is, but what we did see today was also the first cabinet member resignation as a result of yesterday. Elaine Chao, the Secretary of Transportation, basically said that she could not in good conscience remain in office after what had happened. Final thing to note, Joe Biden also in his speech just a couple of hours ago nominated uh, his attorney general. So on some positive future-looking news, if you will, he nominated Merrick Garland. Now, many people might know Merrick Garland. He was uh, he was a nominee of Barack Obama's to join the U.S. Supreme Court, which was then actually blocked by Republicans, who, of course, uh, now under Donald Trump, then got their way in uh, nominating uh, two Supreme Court justices, also including right at the end of Donald Trump's term. Biden said that he hoped Merrick Garland would restore trust in the rule of law. He promised that Garland would not be his personal lawyer, but would be a people's lawyer. So in that sense, another attack on how uh, Donald Trump has handled the last four years. Um, so yes, as I say, it's it's just been this kind of day of recriminations here. Um, so not really positive news, but just a lot of soul searching, I think, in the US as well about how to move on from what, what happened yesterday, how to move forward, and who to hold to account. Chris Jermak, thank you very much for that. Now, over the course of the day, we have heard many interesting insights about the situation in the US in our programs. First, here is Thomas Gift, director of the UCL Center on US Politics. Let's have a listen to what he had to say about yesterday's events. I think many critics, of course, have been challenging Donald Trump's fitness for office for quite some time. So that's nothing new. But we have reached a new peak here, I think, yesterday. Of course, the 25th Amendment is in play. There's some discussions of it. There's also some discussions of impeachment. I'm unconvinced that either of these would actually come to fruition, partly because we're only 12 days away from Donald Trump leaving office, and partly because I do think that there is sufficient Republican support um, to essentially uh, cancel any effort to exit him from office. You know, as much uh, as we have to be concerned about what Donald Trump could do or an insight in the next uh, several days, there also has to be some recognition of what could happen if the president was removed. I think it would also um, have some perverse effects in terms of 
inciting potentially to more violence or social unrest, his supporters who think that that constitutes uh, a coup. So either way, uh, the United States is in a very difficult position. Thomas Gift was there talking about accountability. Ed, do you think Donald Trump will get away with this all or do you think he will eventually face consequences? Well, for this uh, particular thing, I, I don't think necessarily. Um, I think it's interesting all this talk about the Twenty Fifth Amendment that basically says that he could be removed from office if he's deemed to be unfit. I think, as that clip said, it's unlikely that's going to happen because uh, it would, yes, catapult the country into more serious problems. And Donald Trump has also stepped back a little bit, issuing a statement today saying that although he doesn't believe in the results of the election he will ensure a peaceful transfer of power. Remember, also, Donald Trump is severely muzzled now. Uh, He has been suspended from Twitter and Facebook, and so he's not able to sort of have the same uh, bully pit, if you like, that he's had before during the four years of his presidency. Uh, Of course, there are other questions over uh, Donald Trump, whether any of the other investigations into him will lead to anything else. So whether Donald Trump will face investigations after he's left office that's an interesting question for this in particular we'll have to wait and see as the dust settles obviously we're looking at a very grim picture the fact that over 50 people were arrested and we had four deaths including uh, one person who was shot inside congress inside the congress building so just really shocking and and hard to believe that all these things have happened and really hard for Donald Trump to distance himself and say that he had nothing to do it. Because, as I said at the beginning of the program, for weeks he was baiting this for hap- to happen. And even, uh, as we all remember, last night uh, during that siege of uh, Congress, he issued a video while he was still able to on Twitter Uh, telling people to be peaceful but what he should have been done and what Joe Biden later did was to tell people to get off the grounds to go home this wasn't the right way to conduct himself so whether or not he faces criminal investigations later in his life what's certainly true is that he was shown in my opinion anyway to be severely lacking in leadership and this really is something that we've talked about during the four years of his presidency but this really is the sort of icing of the cake showing that he is uh, incapable of, of leading when he needs to. Augustine, what do you think? What will the legacy of Donald Trump be? And what does the future look like if Trump never really admits having lost? Well, it's concerning, uh, Marcus. A poll conducted, I think, earlier today by YouGov, YouGov revealed that 45% of, well, polled Republican voters said that what happened in D.C. was justifiable. Um, when a populist movement like this loses its leader, I guess it kind of loses steam as well. I mean, there are people who one could describe as sort of avatars of this new Trumpism uh, who have been elected. Marjorie Taylor Greene was obviously a, a, a quite a notorious candidate back in November because she had these links to the QAnon movement. Um, and there are more. And this question of what happens to Trumpism after Trump is certainly one that's going to keep the wonks busy for quite a long time. But I think what strikes me is that Trump himself as a figure 
has never really seemed to me to actually have any politics. You know, he's kind of a cipher. And what he's been very useful for is he's been useful as the kind of the focus of a very, very disparate group of disaffected, politically disaffected uh, people, largely on the right, to project everything that they want onto him. He himself, as is demonstrable from this lack of leadership that Ed Stocker just spoke about, and from a countless of his lies and actions over the past four years, really only cares about himself and about money. So I'm sure that whatever happens after this, assuming he doesn't face criminal charges, he will be able to parlay this into some sort of lucrative uh, gig. Maybe he'll become an Alex Jones type figure. Maybe he'll become, he'll go back into the media and he'll speak to people that way. But I think because he's never really had a clear ideological framework, he's not not a figure like, if we take a populist from the left, Jeremy Corbyn here in the UK, who represented quite a clear number of things and had policy goals that reflected what he believed in. Um, I kind of can't see this movement that, you know, you remember back in 2016, this the alt-right, as they were called, this very disparate rabble of different people, you know, somewhere misogynist, racist, anti-Semites, neo-Nazis. They came from across the kind of more odious end of the political spectrum, were lumped together in this category of the alt-right. And that was useful uh, as a category, and they were able to galvanize themselves around Donald Trump. But without that figurehead now, w- what happens to them? My guess is dispersal. Ed Stocker, what about your predictions if you look into your crystal ball? Do you think there's a chance that Donald Trump will remain a major player in US politics? And at the same time, same time, how uncomfortable is the relationship between Trump and the Republican Party getting? Yeah, first of all, really interesting what Olga was saying. Secondly, two points I'd make about that. First of, uh, First up would be, I think, to a certain extent, it depends what Donald Trump wants wants to do. He was always an uneasy politician anyway, and you sort of got the sense that this sort of enveloped him and and he got into it at some at one point, you know. There were questions before he became this surprise winner of the Republican nomination. Uh, there was question marks about re- whether he really wanted the presidency, whether he was doing it as a bit of publicity to raise awareness of his business interests. So it'll be interesting to see if he wants to stick around, if he wants to hang around, if he wants to be a political voice. The second thing is the Republican Party needs to decide what it wants to be. We saw Donald Trump Jr. at the rally early in the day yesterday saying that the Republican Party was the party of Donald Trump. And if you'd asked me that not that long ago, I would have said completely yes. I wonder how much this siege will change people's opinions, whether uh, Republicans will decide that they don't want to be the party of Trump. We saw during his presidency, almost no one was prepared to speak out against him. That has changed recently in the last 12 hours or so. We've seen people speaking out. Even Mitch McConnell, who used a wonderful turn of phrase, I wouldn't normally say that of that man, the now minority leader in the Senate, who said our democracy would enter a death spiral if people uh, weren't prepared to recognise the results of the election. He's been breaking with Donald Trump, even Mike Pence has, and a slew of members of the House as well, speaking out against what's been happening. We haven't seen that before. So whether that means the Republican Party, to a certain extent, will unshackle itself from Donald Trump, that would be fascinating to watch, because not so long ago, 
they saw the only ticket of remaining in power or remaining popular or, 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 or I guess keeping a movement was by being attached to Donald Trump. Whether that's true or not now, we'll have to watch and see what unfolds over the next few days. Well, let's next look at what the division in the US is doing to the countries standing on the world stage. Here is Louis Lucan's former US diplomat, now senior partner with Signum Global Advisors. I think it'll be a long few years before the United States can issue, for example, a statement of condemnation because a foreign leader doesn't accept uh, election results without having that country snicker um, in, in, in return. I, I think, you know, we... Um, we like to tell the rest of the world uh, to abide by free and fair elections. And um, we have a president now who's not doing that. And I think, you know, eventually we will regain the moral high ground. But I think Donald Trump in the last four years and certainly the last two weeks and, and you know, still two weeks to go um, has, has caused immense damage. Louis Lukens there. Paige, you, you have lived in Russia and you follow the Russian media. What can you say about uh, the reaction in the Kremlin? What has it been like? Well, as of yet, there's been no uh, reaction officially from the Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, has been quiet so far. Um, no comment from, from Putin himself. Um, but as you can perhaps imagine, uh, for a sort of authoritarian state like Russia, um, it's quite convenient uh, when... Uh, a country sort of lauded as the bastion of Western democracy is having a lot of issues with that. Um, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before. We talked about this actually when the US election itself happened um, and how the Russian state media was uh, keen or, or kind of skillfully was using the kind of chaos with Trump sort of uh, um, rejecting the result as a kind of example of, of how that style of democracy just doesn't work. Um, in fact, Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova, uh, she has come out uh, and spoken about uh, the storming of Capitol Hill. And she said that it, the reason that it happened was that there was an archaic US electoral system um, and that the politicization of the US media is to blame for the unrest in Washington. Um, so you can kind of get the, the, the Russian view on that um, in terms of how the, the state news channels have been uh, sort of uh, presenting what happened. Not dissimilar from from what's happening in the rest of Europe, you know, lots of rolling footage of of last night's events. Rasia Dvatsa Chitiri, which is one of the bigger state-owned uh, TV channels that kind of has rolling coverage, um, sort of just played scenes of of the violence at length throughout the night, um, with no other real kind of comment or analysis, just the caption "attack on the capital." Um, so that's that's kind of what's going on there. And, and as I understand it, there's something not dissimilar happening in in China as well. I think they're keen to to also kind of use what's happening um, uh, to, to their benefit. Ed, just finally before we move on, do you think there's a way that Joe Biden could bring the nation together again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's going to really try. I mean, that's been one of the things that has really, uh, you could argue, uh, set him apart from uh, not just Donald Trump, but also some of the uh, Democratic candidates back in the primary process. He did try and appeal to both sides and try and bring Americans together. And I think he needs to, because look, this is a country that is so, so polarised. Um, I, I continue to believe that uh, 
the election wasn't a repudiation of Donald Trump. Yes, we found out yesterday that uh, the two Senate seats had gone Democrat, which means that the Senate will be controlled by them. But look at the margins. They're tiny in Georgia. They're tiny in some of those swing states. You know, Joe Biden won some of the states that Hillary Clinton lost by such small margins to Donald Trump. Uh, We're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of voters in some places. And so the country is still split. There are lots of people who still uh, like Donald Trump, believe it or not. I don't know uh, how many of them would have changed their mind after seeing what happened yesterday. But one has to realise that there hasn't been a so-called blue wave. There hasn't been a massive swing. And it doesn't take uh, that many, a difference of that many votes, given the way the electoral system works in the US, for power to shift in one way. So if he's intelligent, which he is, I think, he will realise that he has to heal wounds because the country is hurting and it's only going to be the only way that uh, it can move on and I think also really recuperate some of the esteem and prestige that it had in the world. It needs to do that as well, Marcus. Well, let's leave the US behind now. Let's continue to Russia. The country has announced changes to controversial labour legislation which bans women from many professions, including driving underground trains. Following this, the Moscow Metro has announced that women will be allowed to drive the trains for the first time. Anna Nemtsova is the Daily Beast's Moscow correspondent. In 2000, when Vladimir Putin came to power, um, authorities came up with a list of more than 450 professions that women could not um, occupy positions, um, including women couldn't be sailors, women um, could not work as firefighters, and so on, and even bus drivers. Um, so this change is positive. Now the list includes only 100 positions. Um, but the thing is, the approach, uh, feminists say, has not changed. Um, authorities still say that uh, Russian women um, cannot occupy dozens uh, of positions because the state a- takes care of uh, women's rep- reproductive health. Anna Nemtsova, their page. Are you any more optimistic than Anna about the future of gender equality in Russia? Marcus, I, I wish I, I wish I was uh, a little bit more optimistic. I have to say, I, I, I share Anna's cynicism, um, particularly if, if you sort of listen to to the whole chat that she had with Georgina on the Globalist this morning. Um, you know, while this this is a positive step, of course, um, you know, the reason that the kind of Putin has has done this or the Russian government has done this. I don't think it's really about uh, gender equality or really kind of making sure women's position in society is 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 more equal. Um, you know, I, I think as Anna notes in her chat, Russia has huge, huge problems with uh, things like domestic violence. Uh, domestic violence. There's no legislation against domestic violence in Russia currently. In fact, they decriminalised domestic violence in 2016, uh, making some offences go from the criminal code to the administrative one. Um, so yes, this is this is a good sort of starting point. But you know, gender equality in Russia has quite a, a complicated or kind of difficult history because, of course, if if we go back to communist times 
gender equality was much more uh, of an accepted of an accepted thing you know women got the vote in Russia in, in in 1917 women were allowed into the workforce but what you have to remember that was always on a kind of productionist mentality that was always within the interest of of the state and of course in the in the domestic sphere women were never were never equal so actually when the Soviet Union ended a lot of women uh, were actually happy to be rid of that double burden of having to take part in the workforce and also having to take that primary role at home. So there's lots of complicated things at play here. And I think Russia's got a much more difficult history to, to unpack when it, comes to, when it comes to how it treats its women. Augustine, do you think Western liberal values will one day reach Russia and at the same time, should they? Well, that's a nice open question, Marcus, that I shouldn't put my foot in my mouth too much trying to answer. Um, I think that in the early 90s, there was a lot of optimism that uh, democratic, Western democratic values would indeed reach Russia. And the lie was put to that optimism in the noughties, uh, since when things have been rather more regressive. Most recently, we've seen uh, Vladimir Putin uh, effect a referendum that means that he can remain president until he's well into his 80s uh, in the decade after this one. Um, I wonder if it speaks to maybe a bit of a complacency in liberalism. I mean, probably uh, aligning myself with some unsavoury characters if I say this, so I don't want to be held too much to it. But I wonder if this idea that, you know, these kind of values, democracy, are totally universal, is, um, is, is a bit of a stumbling block when it comes to convincing, uh, for example, post-Soviet uh, countries like Russia to adopt, uh, adopt these values, um, whether they fail to allow for any kind of cultural difference between uh, specifically Russia and the West. You know, it's existed in this extraordinary position for hundreds of years just outside Europe, still a part of it, but still distinctly uh, Eastern as well. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily fair, I don't think, to demand that a culture that has uh, grown over so much time immediately adopt the kind of political and social framework of another culture that's been able to adopt that organically. I don't know whether it's the right way to go about things to, and if we should see the world in that kind of uh, way anymore that the best thing to do is to apply a solution that's worked somewhere else to a radically different context rather than perhaps work within that context to find uh, a solution that kind of offers the same outcomes as a liberal democracy, but speaks more honestly to the values of the people living there. Mm. Augustine Marcellari, Paige Reynolds and Ed Stocker. I'm sad to say this is all we've got time for on today's edition of the Late Edition. Our studio manager was Louis Allen. I am Marco Sippi in London. Thanks for listening.